0: Good morning. Welcome to the show. Thanks for listening. Wednesday, March the 9th. Bright morning here in TW11 with just six days to go until the Cheltenham Festival. Stay tuned because I'll be talking to Emmett Mullins, who has a lot of really interesting runners in the handicaps at the festival next week and might have a very interesting one uh, in the Imperial Cup at Sandown Park on Saturday. Also, in this program, we'll be catching up with J.A. McGrath with his weekly bulletin from Hong Kong, with Tattersall's marketing director, Jimmy George. And I'll also be speaking to the Tote's Jamie Hart about a brand new competition which could see you adding significantly to your punting earnings next week if you're successful in a brand new competition that is run by the Tote. And there are 50 places in that competition up for grabs for listeners of this podcast. But first of all, news broke yesterday that the chair of the British Horse Racing Authority, Anna Marie Phelps, will not seek a second term when her current term expires in May. In a rather surprising development and somewhat unusual, it was also announced that existing independent board director Joe Somers-Smith would immediately take over as chairman. So a coronation, in effect, rather than a, a process of succession. Uh, Lee Modesthead, senior writer from the Racing Post, is with me now. Did this come as a surprise, Julie?
1: No, I'm not necessarily surprised, Nick, because I think people had been asking the question, would Anna Marie Phelps uh, take a second term as chair of BHA? And the fact that we hadn't had confirmation that she would, I think led some people to believe that she probably wouldn't. And she isn't. Um, To to some extent, it's not necessarily surprising that a chair does just the the one term. But I, I think Given the issues taking place in the sport at the moment, some might say it's an unusual time to have a to have a handover. I, I would look at it in a, in, a, in a number of ways, Nick. I think you have to first of all rewind back to when anna Marie Phelps was appointed chair of the BHA and look at how the situation was then and why she was likely picked. You had um, a point where the previous full time chair, Steve Harmon. His relationship with the the BHA board and BHA executive had deteriorated significantly. You had board members believing that he had misled them, um, and you had a situation where at the same time significant numbers of, of participants and high profile participants felt that the the BHA board was trying to get rid of of their man. So there was an awful lot of friction within the the board and the, the wider industry, and I suspect that after Athol Duncan served an interim period. I think they were, they were looking for someone who would steady the ship, who wasn't aligned with any one individual faction in the sport and who would come with a good governance background. And I think Anna-Marie felt, felt ticked those boxes and you can argue that she, she did the job that she was brought in to do, albeit it was a job that changed because of of COVID and I think that's a factor why she's maybe been less visible than predecessors in the role have been. Um, I think what we have now is a situation where the the big challenge I think for the the BHA board and for the, the, the BHA itself, the immediate challenge is clearly relating to the the gambling review that is taking place in the government. We're expecting a white paper soon and the wider question of funding of the sport with levy reform, etc. And I suspect that Joe Saumarez Smith, who will become the, the BHA chair uh, in, uh, at, the end of, at the end of May, he's deemed to be the right person to do that job. He has a significant amount of experience in the, in the gambling and gaming sectors. He's involved in a senior way in, in groups within the industry looking at levy reform and uh, the, 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 the industry's relationship with the, the gambling sector. So I think he is deemed to tick those boxes. But it still is quite unusual, Nick, for a BHA chair's uh, successor to be announced on the same day that the current chair's departure is announced at all. Well, that is unusual. Um, the, the question clearly when someone leaves a post is how good were they in the post? And I think we will be able to, to give a definitive or a more definitive answer on that in relation to Anna-Marie Phelps when we get to the point where she leaves. Because within, her, within the BHA statement yesterday, the key quotes in many ways related to what Anna-Marie Phelps sees as now her final big mission in the job. She said yesterday that there was now recognition that the BHA board will maintain responsibility for both regulation and governance matters with an additional responsibility for leading the strategy for industry growth on behalf of our shareholders. Mm. She went on to say that the tripartite system would be reviewed. Now, if you go back to November, there was an attempt by BHA stakeholders from within racecourses and participants to drastically change the way that the sport was governed and for the BHA to become really only a regulator, to, to move out of that, that, that commercial governance Role. It looks as though Anna-Marie Phelps has secured in principle uh, an acceptance from stakeholders and BHA shareholders that that won't be the case and that the BHA will continue to lead on governance matters. And that is very significant because that is a, a huge turnaround from what the the hijack attempt, if you like, in November we're setting out to do and I think it's it would be very much welcomed or I would very much welcome it if we get to that point at the end of May and that is secured because I think governance by by stakeholders and by member interests is a flawed idea and it also goes directly against what government uh, is seeking from sport.
0: Uh, notable strong support for Joe Someris Smith from the man who was part of the triumvirate that initially appointed him to the board of the BHA, the former BHA chairman Steve Harmon, who who still seems to be quite a significant figure uh, behind the scenes, Lee, and, and certainly those close to Harmon were enthusiastically tweeting their support of the change of leadership last night. Yeah, and it is interesting, Nick. I mean, as you say, as I said, st- Steve Harmon was the,
1: the reason why I think the, the sport was looking for a chair like Anna-Marie Phelps. So there's no doubt that he has continued to play um, a, an interesting behind-the-scenes role. And his continued uh, interest and involvement in matters has been to the great frustration of the BHA executive. There clearly is a faction within the sport that, that believes in what he, he says and what, what, he, what he's doing. And the fact that they are welcoming uh, the appointment of someone he is backing is probably not something that we should, we should overlook. But, uh, but I think it would be to the sport's great benefit if we can get to a point, as I say, in the middle of this year where there is clarity in what the BHA is there to do. I, I thought Peter Savile, a former BHB chair, was exactly right last, last November when he was decrying this attempt to to weaken uh, the BHA, I think it, it's absolutely right that at a time when the, the the tripartite system that was brought in has, not surprisingly, uh, shown itself to be a model that that results in decisions not being taken. You, you you can't get agreement from from the two sides. I think the BHA needs to be needs to be stronger um, as a body. Anna Marie Phelps can. Can achieve that by by the time that she leaves office she will have had a significant success um and um i would hope that all sides of the sport even even those who are wild supporters of, of
0: the former chair steve harman can accept and acknowledge that least sad news that the uh, owner robert ogden sir robert ogden who for many years was associated with some of the best horses first over jumps and, and then on the flat has died
1: Nick, I think there were two things I just personally remember. One, one was I would, I've been doing a piece for the Racing Post looking back at the, the 25th anniversary, or marking the 25th anniversary of the, of the Bomb Scare Grand National. And I was speaking to, to Edie Roach, the, the lady whose house uh, backs onto the race course and in effect held a house party of, of jockeys and racing professionals um, when it became obvious that the Grand National wouldn't be staged. And she told me about how Sir Robert Alden and his brother were stood outside the house in, in, in the cold and at first they, they didn't want to, to come in. Eventually they did and they were adamant that they wanted to pay her for all the, the money that she spent in holding this party and she insisted she wouldn't take any any money from them and therefore a few days later uh, Sir Robert sent a very sizable cheque uh, for Riddia Roach to give to a charity of her choice, which, which which she did. And I think he was an enormous man for supporting uh, charities um he did an almost, almost like a man of good in that regard and i'd also say that i, I remember speaking to him at york nick two or three years ago maybe at the Ebor meeting and we just started talking about some of his old his old jump stars and then subsequent to that back in january of last year i had an email a letter uh, sent from him that, he, that had a picture of eight of his of his jumps greats from the past at his sickling hall stud in Yorkshire. And that picture and the way he'd spoken about them when we, when we chatted at York for me underlined how much he still loved those horses and how much they meant a great deal to him. So I think what we, what we shouldn't uh, forget is that although he had moved away from horse racing in the final years of his life, he did really love his horses. And that is something that we should applaud. And we should also applaud how much good
0: he did for many charities. And, and I would like to applaud John Randall for managing to include this published in your paper, The Racing Post, uh, a of Sir Robert Ogden, where he says, um, Sir Robert Ogden was occasionally interviewed in the winner's enclosure, but he shunned publicity, preferring to let his horses do the talking. Nevertheless, the elderly divorced tycoon attracted the attention of gossip columnists when seen on the racecourse with a succession of beauties who were several decades younger than him. He named Sander Camillo after one of them. By the time the filly was racing, he'd already moved on to his next Brazilian companion. That's John Randall writing in today's Racing Post. Now, as you will be able to hear, it is wet this morning and very windy uh, in County Carlow in Ireland where I speak to Emmett Mullins. But this is an important phone call because this time last year, uh, Emmett put us in the right direction of a Cheltenham Festival winner. He's got a stack of horses with good chances. Emmett, I will try and keep this relatively brief. Um, how many do you think you're going to be bringing over next week?
2: I think we Three runners and uh, all three with three life chances.
0: So will the shunter be coming back? Uh, he was your winner last year. Yes. Yeah, um, I
2: think we'll be confirming who's for the Coral Cup and the plate. Um but
0: he probably looks like he has a nicer mark in the Coral Cup. And he's a horse who you mixed and matched hurdles and fences with very effectively. Um, do you th- do you think he's a better hurdler than a chaser?
2: Um, he's he probably is. He's probably not the most natural uh, chaser. He has his own way of doing it, but um, uh, no, he he's uh, he's slick over
0: hurdles. Yeah, and uh, you think he's on a on a pretty good mark. The other entries you've got at the moment: a noble Yates, who's recently been bought by the. The Whaley Cohen family, uh Winter Fog, Right Place, Right Time and, and Cara Ray. Uh, which of those are, are definitely gonna come?
2: Um Sam should be riding over the Hoods in the Ultimate on Tuesday. Um, so he should have a good streak. Um, the plan is definitely the national long term, so but he's still hitting well. No, he, he should run a big race on Tuesday, but uh plan is definitely the national long term.
0: Okay, so, so he's he's definitely inked in for it. I was at a you'll have heard this a million times. I was at a preview last night and somebody you knew better than me uh, tipped a, a horse you trained called Carrey who ran at the Dublin Racing Festival. Is that is that an intended runner?
2: Um he's probably unlikely to get a run in any race. Um from
0: what I can see. If he gets in, he'll take his chance, but I, I can't see him getting a run. Okay, and would you are you going to try and get Cara Ray in by running in the Imperial Cup?
2: It's an option. Um, I I have Dave Roberts, so I'm trying to find out what I'm doing, but uh, we haven't decided yet.
0: Okay. Well, you can just you can just tell him here. That's absolutely fine. Save him the phone call.
2: <laughs> Save him the phone call is right, but no, we haven't. No, we actually. It's, uh, we'll we'll talk uh, about it later.
0: I mean, what what would be the sort of driving factor behind it?
2: Um, ground, I think. Uh, he's definitely going to be a better horse and better ground. And if uh, Chatham doesn't materialize, it's going to be a, a long spring and summer.
0: Um, one horse who definitely will get a run, I, I think, is, is is Winter Fog, who ran a fantastic race uh, at Leopardstown in the pretense qualifier at, at Christmas. Again, you've...
2: Yes, it probably... He probably looks like he had plenty of gear than Leperstown. He got there on the bridle, traveling very easy at the second last, and got run out for a close home. I'm going to put that down to first run for me, first run of the season, and uh, I'd be fairly confident I'd run him in the fence.
0: Yeah, so he's he's pretty short for the for the per temps, and I know he got a, a good chunk from the from the UK handicapper. But is there a chance that he's still ahead of the posse? Do you think?
2: He's gonna expose and we're gonna hope he is, but um we won't find out till next Thursday.
0: Uh, does he does he work like a good one? Does he does he strike you like a good horse when you on what you see?
2: No, he's not a particularly good work horse at home and um, anytime we've got away the grass he's been much better, but um he's only done that two or three times since we've got him. Um so no, he wouldn't he wouldn't set the world alight at home, uh, but um he does the business when he travels away, so they'll
0: take that. And uh, I, when you were saying earlier on that you didn't think that uh Cara Ray would get in to, to any race, will you get uh, right place, right time into a race?
2: Unlikely as well. Uh, I'd probably confirm him for the Kim Muir, but I think he'd be a pound or two shy of last year's ratings to get in a run as well.
0: And for all we were saying that Winter Fog is the shortest price of your of your lot, and actually quite a short price for a... For a um, uh, for a horse who uh, yeah who's who's got a, a fair fair chunk from the from the UK handicap, it, it, do you th- still think he's the best bet if you were going to back one of yours? Which would it be? I'd
2: probably take the horse that's been there and done it at Shunter. Um, he's won twice in Shetland two visits there, so you'd uh, have to be confident he's going to run his race again whenever he, wherever he turned up.
0: Hey, Mullins there. Playing his cards close enough to his chest about whether he was going to run Carrieray in the Imperial Cup on Saturday, but otherwise pretty informative about where some of those horses were going to land up next week. And he's got more than a chance or two of a winner. Well, there's all sorts of ways you can play the Cheltenham Festival as a a punter. Uh, But you might not have thought of joining a betting competition I'm not talking about a tipping competition I'm talking about a betting competition in the style of what Americans might call a handicapping contest Uh, to explain more here's the totes Jamie Hart Jamie what are you offering next week
3: yeah so next week it is very much like the handicapping competitions that you'll see at things like the Breeders' Cup so where every where a bunch of uh, punters get together and they, they fight it out just betting normally it's that like they're all in control of all their stakes and their and their uh, their betting plans and it's whoever can make the most money over that period and then they get rewarded on top of that of course they they keep all their winnings um, so but you just get rewarded on top so <clears throat> this this week next week the Cheltenham. We're putting up just over fifty five thousand pounds worth of prizes with a kind of with a daily prize and an overall weekly prize for a betting competition that's limited to a thousand people entering. So, you know, I mean, even I can do that kind of ass if there's fifty five thousand pounds being given away and there's a thousand people are entering, you wanna think that you can earn more than fifty five quid out of it. There's ten grand a day. Um, just for beating the totes representative, which is my colleague Jamie Benson, he'll get given a £300. Well, I,
0: fan- I fancy having a crack at that.
3: Exactly. Well, I know, you, you know, if anybody knows Jamie Benson, I can assure you he is, he is not a dangerous judge. But he will, he will be trying to be, be, do his best with his, his £300. Pounds. Needless to say, if he loses his £300... Pounds, and of the thousand people playing, there will be a considerable number of them that will do better than Jamie Benson. So they'll be—you get to share. If you beat Jamie Benson on the day, you get to share the ten thousand pounds. It'll be interesting there, just where he ends up, because he might—if he's one hundred and fifty quid up, there might only be a you know, hundred people beating him, and you know, it's, it's worth having. I'm, I'm, or even fifty, you know, if he does very well.
0: And unlike unlike in America, where you have to buy your way into these competitions, in addition to staking all your own money, here, yes, of course, you have to stake your own money to, to play as you normally would. But you're actually buying us the entry into the competition, right?
3: Yeah, yes, but because it's because it's a new. A new
0: right, the, the, the dog wants to have the dog wants to have a go as well, by the sounds of it. <laughs>
3: Because it's a new, uh, it's a, a new thing for the British market. We've, we're we're putting the prize up ourselves, so the punters don't have to pay for the prize. They just have to place their bets through the tote. And of course, the tote is best, you know, in the last ten minutes. You looking up? It's for those kind of bets. I know everybody's got big, burgeoning anti post portfolios, so you don't have to worry about those. These are just playing on the day. Particularly, I think the winners will come out to the ones that really get those exactors and trifectors working, because that's that's where historically the yeah. tote beats. Forecasts and trycasts over eighty percent of the time, so that's that's the kind of thing we want people playing that, and then we can, when the winner wins, we can show just where they got the value.
0: All right, so um, how do we enter?
3: Well, what we'll do, I'll give you a link, Nick, so that you can put it when you put the podcast out. People can follow the link, and we'll ever we'll we'll keep because because it's limited to a thousand in total. We'll, we'll give you uh, 50 places for people that, that are listening to the to the Nick Luck podcast. Uh, we'll keep them to one side and, and people can just click on that link, opt in, and you'll be
0: in. And the link that you need to enter the competition is tote.co.uk forward slash promotions forward slash tote 1000. tote.co.uk forward slash promotions slash tote 1000. Now, for a limited time only, you can subscribe to the Racing Post Members Club and pay just £9.99 for your first month. That's £9.99 to unlock the Racing Post digital newspaper, which, of course, is worth over £100 per month. You get award-winning online content, of course, and unlimited replays from all the UK and Irish racecourses, uh, advice from tipsters like Tom Siegel and Paul Keeley, and so much more. And you can take advantage of this introductory offer in association with us here on the podcast by heading to racingpost.com forward slash Daily. I mean, there is precious little sign, it has to be said, here in the UK of spring being in the air, except for the fact that on my desk this morning, landed the catalogue for the uh, Tattersall's Craven Breeze Up sale, um, which I've got quite a long association with because it was the first sale that uh, I think I, I broadcast way back in the day in about 2004 or 5, um, which began an association with Jimmy George, marketing director of Tattersall's, who's with me now. Right, the Breeze Up catalogue is, is here um jimmy hopefully the weather will be warmer by the time those two-year-olds are uh flying up next to the roly mile are you pleased with what's in there
4: yes good morning nick as you say it's a certain sign of sign of that springs with us, even if, as you say, when you look out the window or we'll march out the front door, it's not quite as obvious. But, yeah, look, a really good Craven Breeze-Up catalogue, um, 162 lots catalogued, And um, we are looking forward to seeing all of them strutting their stuff down parallel to the Rowley Mile on, on April the 11th, starting at 9.30 in the morning. So, uh, no, it's, it's, <laughs> the wheel keeps turning, the wheel keeps turning.
0: Uh, we've talked quite a bit over the years about the way the complexion of the breeze-ups has changed, particularly the sort of elite breeze-up sales has changed a bit from just being you know, fast, precocious, I want a horse at Royal Ascot to something a bit more varied, a bit more breadth, a bit more variety. Uh, what do you observe in that regard from the catalogue this time?
4: Yeah, I think that's quite right. And I think the, the, the sort of winners that uh, the Craven breeze-up sale is turning out year after year... Demonstrates that, as as does its its half brother, the Tattersalls Guineas breeze up sale, which follows a couple of weeks later. You know, these aren't. Yes, there are some. Of course, there are some smart, precocious two year olds that will come out of the Craven breeze up sale every year, and uh, that's very much part of its ethos as well, and is is reflected in the fact that we offer a a very substantial one hundred and twenty five thousand pound bonus for any two year old that comes out of the Craven Breeze up sale that wins one of the six two year old races at Royal Ascot. So yeah, and uh, <clears throat> that's a very real prospect that, that a that a horse will win that bonus. But equally the other side to the bonus, so in total there's two hundred and fifty thousand pounds on offer is for for any Craven Breeze up two year old that goes on to win a two year old group one race in in the year it was purchased. And uh, last year, that was won by the outstanding, beaten European champion, two-year-old Native Trail, um, who won his bonus when he won the first of his two group ones last year, the National Stakes at, uh, at the Yeah, you know, And he, I think, look, I'd be slightly over it to say he typifies what the sale is all about, because... You don't you don't churn out unbeaten champion two-year-olds every year, but he is and always was a fine, big, scopy horse
2: who who looked um, he was a magnificent-looking
4: two-year-old, but who always looked as if he'd have the scope to go on as a three-year-old. Um, certainly, his physique suggests that, and uh, it's, it's it's no coincidence. Obviously, as an unbeaten two champion two-year-old but he's, he's very much favorite for the 2000 guineas coming up in the, coming up shortly so yeah it, it, i think the great thing about the craven breeze up is that it has now established this reputation for producing some of the very best two-year-olds to be found in europe every year but tough hardy durable horses which have scope and which will go on to enjoy uh Long-lasting careers at a very high level, and uh, that's what uh, I think. You know, the buyers know that there's there's a little something for everyone in that respect, and and it's not a one-dimensional sale by any means, and neither is the Guineas breeze up
0: Jimmy George there, eyeing up the spring, eyeing up those international buyers as well. We're heading off further afield now to Hong Kong and to J. Magr.
5: Hi Nick. Well-performed horses from Europe and Australasia can go either way when exported to Hong Kong. Some thrive, others don't. Pure and simple. Remember Russian Emperor, the Galileo side son of champion Aussie mayor, Atlantic Jewel? He won the Hampton Court at Royal Ascot and found his way to Hong Kong. No doubt for a sizable sum. Instant success in his new home? Not exactly. Russian Emperor took 12 starts to break his duck in Hong Kong in the Gold Cup. Admittedly, he was also runner-up in the Hong Kong Derby and placed behind Japanese star Loves Only You, on International Race Day in December. But there was nothing overnight about it. And while we're reminiscing, now here's one. What about Berlin Tango? Ex-Andrew Balding for George Strawbridge. He won the Kempton Classic Trial in June 2020, defeating Driver no less. Then he went to Hong Kong and he's been struggling to make his mark. He's currently 0 from 15 there. Sorry to take you around the houses on this, but the point I'm trying to make is that good form in other countries does not guarantee success elsewhere, particularly in Hong Kong. The relevance of this observation is that there's a horse called Atomic Force making his Hong Kong debut in race eight at Happy Valley today. He won three of his four races for Kevin Ryan, including the Group 2 Prix robert Papin at Shanti in July last year. He was rated 114, which placed him in the top 10 in European two-year-old classifications. He's fast, and his new trainer, Casper Founds, has had this Class 3 handicap over five furlongs earmarked for him for some time. Vincent Ho will ride. All that said, I think he's got a stiff task awaiting him on his first run in Hong Kong. Over the 1,000 at the Valley, you will have to be sharp and streetwise to lie up with speech that nervous witness. And the city track is so tight there's no margin for error for a former European. Zach Purton is back on nervous witness, and that spells danger for the opposition. We will watch atomic force with interest, speaking of Zach, who leads moreira eighty two to seventy eight in the championship by the way. Zack rides my best on the card at happy Valley. It's race seven number six h k dragon. Take him in a tote swinger with one nimble nimbus and seven sparky star. That's all from the Hong Kong beat. I look forward to talking to you again next week.
0: Thanks to the croc, to Emmett Mullins, to all my guests this morning. Uh, Lee Mottishead is still with me. And Lee, has a tip for you for today? Yeah, I do, Nick. I
1: can't believe I'm tipping against the Gary Moore-trained horse in a race at Fontwell. Uh, but I am. I, I was I was minded to go with one of Gary's, given his recent success at the track. But I'm actually going to go with uh, a horse trained by Harry Fry in the 3.15, well, the Virgin Bet Maiden Hurdle. Uh, it's a gelding called Gin Coco, who hasn't actually run for, for a long time, over 500 days. But assuming Harry Fry has got the horse fit uh, for his first run for for the trainer, I think the form that he has showed in his two previous uh, outings, puts him somewhere in front of the opposition he'll face in this race at Fontwell. So assuming he's fit, I think Jinkoko should win the 3.15 at Fontmore this afternoon.
0: Lee, thanks so much. Thank you for listening. Thanks for all your support. Please do give us a rating and a review if you have a little time and subscribe and make sure you tell all your friends and tell me what you'd like to hear more of. Uh, that's it for now. We'll be back again tomorrow.